0: So I took them out to eat after the store closed, probably four, or five people. And I went around the table, explaining what happened. I said, somebody's stealing phones. Who is it? Nobody said anything.
1: Did you say it like that or? Yeah. Wait, at what point in dinner is this? I mean, did you go order appetizers yet? Or... <laughs> I
0: don't even remember.
1: Did you even order dinner or did you just sit down at a table?
0: <laughs> uh, I think I had a beer because I figured I'd need one to get through this conversation. <laughs> Excited about it because you don't
1: sound very excited about opening those stores. Well,
0: I'm excited now, I guess. I was trying to put myself back in those days. It's like that was hard work. You thought, you know what, I'm gonna save money on the gas and I work till nine o'clock tonight. I gotta open at nine tomorrow and I'll just sleep in my car. I think sometimes people look at God and I and my other partner Steve and says, Oh, you guys, you didn't really seem to have that many obstacles. But you didn't do anything stupid. I just smile and laugh at him. And I was just overwhelmed with everything going on in my life right there with my family and my son. I just realized that, wow, I need some help. Hello, my name is Vince Lubin. I'm 50 years old and I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota.
1: So what's life like there? I don't know if I know anyone from over there.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a smaller state, probably 700,000 people in the whole state. We're on the other end of the state. The western side is the Great Faces and Black Hills. So it's a big tourist attraction, very beautiful part of the state. We're on the eastern side, right next to Minnesota.
1: And how cold does it get during the winter?
0: It can get really cold. It can get down to 20 below zero, probably with a wind chill factor of 50 below zero and snow. And then in the summer, it can get to 100 degrees. So we have a big fluctuation in temperatures and seasons. But I grew up here, I guess, so I don't know any better. And we love it here.
1: How about we talk about you growing up there and talk about your entrepreneurial journey. But first, tell us about your company and what you do.
0: Okay. I started in the cell phone business back in 1995, about 23 years ago, as an outside sales rep for a local cellular company called Comnet Cellular at the time. And I did that. And then over the years, added some stores, added a couple partners, and we've grown that now to a total of 54 stores in the Midwest, the five-state area here. And how many people work for you? We have a little over 300, about 320 people. Okay.
1: A little over 300. You have 54 stores. Are all these stores in South Dakota area?
0: Yeah. So we got South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, and one in Wisconsin.
1: You started this about 25 years ago or so? Yeah. Did you grow up wanting to be a cell phone distribution
0: guy? You know, I knew I wanted to be in my own business. I had no idea when I was younger what that was going to look like. But I grew up on a farm, good work ethic. And I knew that I wanted to do something to kind of be on my own. And I love business.
1: Why don't you talk to us? You said you've always wanted to be in business, even when you were a kid and you're in business. Why don't you talk about that a little bit more and then how you got to where you are today?
0: Okay. So when I first started as an outside sales rep was kind of my first step because I figured I need to work for somebody to understand the industry. I really liked the cell phone industry. I saw it as a growing industry
1: so, you're in your mid 20s, right? Starting off in the cell phone business. Sounds like you're only making 30k or so those first couple
0: of years, is that right? Yeah. The first year 30 some, and then the next year it got up to 50, 60 some, which back then was a really good wage. Yeah, super good wage.
1: Still solid now even coming Still out of college? Still very solid
0: now. Absolutely. But we were clicking and I worked my butt off. I was working 60, 70 hours a week just trying to sell as many phones as I could, be in front of as many people as I could.
1: So it sounds like the first couple of years, you were pretty successful. And I don't know if there's anything else that you can think of that kept you going those first couple of years. Is there anything else we can learn from as we go into your early 30s and trying to figure out how you were successful?
0: You know, always keeping a goal in front of your goals, not just financial goals, but relationship goals, spiritual goals, just different goals that you want to achieve and keep those in front of you because sometimes crap happens. And You need to go back and say, okay, this is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm striving. Believe in yourself that I can do it. It doesn't mean there's not going to be naysayers along the way, but if we stay focused, work hard, we can make it.
1: Well, tell us about some of those obstacles early on and those growing years.
0: Yeah, in the early years, when we opened our... My second store, actually. One
1: second. Before, you had always been working for someone, right? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah.
0: So the first few years, I worked on my own for the local cell phone company as an outside sales rep.
1: Still, was that Verizon then or no?
0: Back then, it was actually called ComNet Cellular.
1: Okay. Yeah. I didn't think Verizon was there. Yeah. So you worked for a company for a few years, gained some confidence, and you said, hey, I can open up my own store? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So let's dive more into that because that's when you have to especially... Luckily, coming out of sales, you have that mindset already that you have to work hard, right, to make money and bring in revenue. At least that's kind of a stepping stone, or at least that's the way I think about it. But when you opened up your new store, that's a whole another thing that you have to think about. So, just tell us about how you were able to do that.
0: I had saved some money. I got the opportunity in the fall of 1999 to have my first store in Vermillion, South Dakota. And then in the spring of 2000, Verizon was created from a several different companies. One was Comnet Cellular. Other companies across the nation come together and created Verizon, as we know it today. When that happened, there was an opportunity in some of these smaller markets, smaller towns, to have somebody like me take over those stores. And I had the one. I was going for three more, got those. And then the week before this was going to take effect, on March 1 of 2000, they called me and said, Vince, do you want another store in Sioux City, Iowa? And I said, yes, I'll take it. I had no idea how I was going to do it. I knew I could handle the three additional stores, but I really didn't know how I was going to handle it. My firstborn was in the hospital in intensive care. He's fine now. He just went to college last week. But it was total chaos.
1: So what made chaos was that fourth store? You already had four stores? So it'd be your fifth total, right? Exactly. And you just got four at the same time. Now, you're talking about total chaos with this. So we can keep going or... I'd love to hear about still the first store and opening that up.
0: The very first store?
1: Yeah, because this is huge. I mean, going from one to three, and then before you jump back into the story with the Verizon thing, I think we kind of just jumped over what's the difference when you're just a sales guy. That's kind of what you were doing before with the old company? Yep. Well, now, are you the only one working at your first new store? No. Or you have employees? So, let's, Employees. Yeah. Tell us about that. Like what you had to do, what worked, what
0: didn't work, and the difference in mindset. Some of the things I learned about being a boss, I learned from my previous companies on some things that they did good. But I also learned a lot, like if I'm ever the boss, I'm not going to do this. That's
1: important. Yeah, I agree. It was important.
0: And one of the things I learned that I wasn't going to do is do my absolute best of when we told the employee to do something, we had to give them the why behind it. And so often, these bigger corporations I worked for, I would just get an email or direction from a boss to do this, and I didn't understand the why behind it, and that was frustrating. So I always told myself, I'm not going to do that. We still strive to do that. We're not perfect at it today because the bigger you get, you don't have the time to sit down with all 300 and some employees one on one to explain that to them. You try to get other people to explain it and go on down, but it doesn't always get communicated as good as it probably should but there's always a why that we communicate with it so when I first started that first door I had two employees to start with and then and I kind of thought of this thing as well this is a college town and cell phones are still new and the more college kids I could get hired even part-time the more friends they have they'll go out and sell so I started setting up this it's almost like a network marketing thing How it ended up is like Okay, I'll hire you part time. You're paid straight commission. And I was having these college kids that would come and they would sell their friends. I would help do all the paperwork. So make sure things got done right. Then they would come in and bring in more of their friends and the friends would bring in friends. And all of a sudden I took that little store that was a corporate owned store, probably doing 30 phones a month. All of a sudden I was having it do a hundred phones a month. They thought, wow. Corporation thought that was awesome. Vince, what are you doing over there? I kind of told them, I did tell them what's going on. And that way, a couple months later, I put myself in position to get four additional stores, total of five in March of 2000. So that's how that kind of worked. Yeah. Okay, that's
1: smart to think that way, because especially with younger people, you realize that technology they're going to be interested in. But what city was that? Was it still the same city you were in?
0: Yeah. Vermillion, South Dakota was the very first store. It's home
1: of the University of South Dakota. Oh, South Dakota. Okay. I was going to ask what university you were talking about. Yep. You do that, so you get interest from, is it Verizon then, to open up these four other stores? Yes. Okay. Tell us how much did it cost to open up that first store and then get these other stores as well for you?
0: You know, first store is about 10000 and then... The other stores probably maybe 50,000 needed some inventory but Verizon gave me a floating line of credit. So 50,000 each for each store? 50,000 total. Okay. So a little more than 10,000 a store.
1: That does not seem very expensive for you. So you're buying into this and then they set everything up for you as well?
0: Yeah, in these cases, you know, the rents, the leases were set up, had employees, So on March 1, 2000, for these additional stores, I started taking over the rent payments, utility payments, employee wages, took it all over. They floated me a line of credit for the phone inventory and accessory inventory. So it was pretty tight. My cash flow was very, very tight for the first year, two years. And then as it started to free up, then we had money to add some additional stores. So we never did go into debt as a company. So we've been very blessed that way.
1: Let's just talk about back then. We don't talk about yet today. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later.
0: So like what money goes to them? What money
1: goes to you when you're buying into these stores? Just so we get a concept of how this works. Because me personally, I don't even understand how it works. I mean, I see Verizon stores around. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. I'll see all these types of stores just like you owned, where they probably owned maybe 50, 100, whatever stores. But how does that work monetarily? Like how much goes to Verizon? How much do you get? And what are the liabilities
0: for you and them? As the wireless world the company I own part owner of. We have a lease with the landlord. We pay for the utilities, the employees work for us. All that money that we take in, we have to pay those bills. We don't pay Verizon. What happens is Verizon pays us a commission. So we'll get a commission for every phone that we sell from Verizon. And then accessories, well, we get to keep that. We buy an accessory for $15 and sell it for 20. We get to keep the $5 profit.
1: And they pay for all the inventory that's in there too. You just get commission on whatever phone comes in.
0: We pay for the inventory, and then they pay us back within our commission. That kind of happens about the same time. We have about six thirty to sixty day terms on the inventory, and our commission check will come about that same time frame. There's a lot of money moving back and forth at the end of every month.
1: Well, can you just walk it through examples? So, if I bought a brand new iPhone, a thousand dollars, to keep it simple. Sure. So how much do you get and how much do they get? And like, how does that cash flow go that you're talking about?
0: $1,000 iPhone, Verizon will put that on 24 months payment of around $40 a month. Verizon will pay for that $1,000 within that same time frame. It will pay us back $1,000 once it's activated. And then we'll get an extra commission on top of that.
1: Can you just give us a ballpark I mean I don't know we're talking about like five or ten percent I'm just trying to see how the cash flow works on this oh you don't have to give us the exact number we're just trying to get an idea of we talk to a lot of different founders and you know a lot of them I don't understand all the time how they actually make money at the end of the day you know so okay. I'm just trying to make it as simple as possible so we get an
0: idea So we'll get maybe seven to ten percent commission on that sale.
1: Okay. And that's because of the wireless contract or whatever that they're buying into? Yep. Okay. That's the contract that they're actually giving the commission on, not the actual phone. Correct. So you can sell the phone higher if you want, right?
0: Or no? No, we can't. A lot of that's controlled by the manufacturer. And some of it's controlled by Verizon, but the other part's just controlled by the market. Right.
1: But I feel like Verizon should almost, like, why did you have to pay for the inventory versus why didn't they?
0: They just set us up as our own business. That's the way they've always done it. Now, some other carriers do it a different way where they'll consign the inventory.
1: So it just depends carrier to carrier. Okay. Yes. So at least we get an idea of how the Verizon model works. They saw how great you're doing in this South Dakota university market, right? And they ask you if you want four other spots, you say, yeah, let me do it. And you're in your mid-30s at this point? Yep young 30s. Yeah, young 30s. So tell us what happens. I guess you had saved up enough money to buy 50,000 worth of stores.
0: Yeah. Okay. Did that. And then I knew I could handle the three additional stores, but then adding that fifth store in Sioux City, Iowa, I was like, that's a big store. It was doing big volume. And I was just overwhelmed with everything going on in my life right there with my family and my son. I just realized that, wow, I need some help. So I knew this guy named Todd and I asked him if you want to be my partner. He said, yeah, let's give it a shot." So we. Loaded up our cars with phones and landline phones, plug in and printers and computers and
1: Wait, wait, wait. You said you put landline phones into your car?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know, it sounds weird, but
1: <laughs> okay. we needed
0: something to plug in the wall so when customers called, you know, it was a business. Okay.
1: Because it is called Wireless World, so I hope you don't have any of them anymore. It is
0: Wireless World. In our stores, when customers call, the store phone. That is good old-fashioned landline phone, yeah. I'm joking
1: with you. All right. This guy becomes your partner, and then what happens?
0: The first day we get there around six in the morning, we have a lot of work to do because the previous day it was a Comnet Cellular store. And today we were going to open up as a Wireless World Verizon store. So customers have been coming in that store for Probably eight years. So they knew that that was a cell phone store. So we opened up at nine oh five or nine o'clock. And then at nine oh five, a customer comes in and walks up to the wall and says, I need a car charger for my Motorola phone. And we help him get it. He gives us two twenties and we look at each other and we say, crap, I have nothing. And we're digging out in our ashtrays of our cars to try to find change. And I think sometimes people look at Todd and I and my other partner, Steve, and says, Oh, you guys. It all just went so well for you. It was all so easy for you. You didn't really seem to have that many obstacles, or you didn't do anything stupid. I just smile and laugh at him because I tell them, I could tell you lots of stories, and this is just one of them. Like, who would open up a store, open up a retail business, not have a cash drawer, but we did. We worked through it. Customer laughed at us and looked at us kind of weird, like, what's going on here? What happened? <laughs>
1: Are you or your company interested in reaching an audience of entrepreneurs? Our network and I are always on the lookout for businesses that we can partner with. Over the past year, we've been lucky enough to work with sponsors like Gusto, Start Engine, and Skillshare. And we've been able to help them grow their businesses by reaching our podcast audience of high earning professionals, business founders, and successful solopreneurs. Well, over this next year, we're looking for three to five new sponsors to partner with. So if your business, could benefit by reaching the thousands of entrepreneurs listening right now, and you're actually serious about sponsoring our show, then shoot me an email at austin at millionaire-interviews.com. The first three listeners to place an order with us will receive a five-minute spotlight on their business that will air after one of our episodes. So again, if you're interested in growing your business as we grow this podcast, then shoot me a personal email at austin at millionaire-interviews.com or just check the episode notes below to find more information on this awesome opportunity. Well, why did this store switch? Why did they sell it from, was it still a Verizon
0: store before? It was a ComNet cellular store before. Right, but I didn't know if the ComNet
1: cellular was like LLC underneath Verizon Wireless or kind of like your wireless world. I mean, do people see wireless world outside or do they just see Verizon we're looking at your storefront?
0: They see both. They'll see the big Verizon sign on the door. It'll say wireless world. ComNet Cellular was a cell phone carrier, a small one like Verizon, and ComNet Cellular rolled up into another company, which rolled up into become part of Verizon.
1: Okay, that's what I was trying to figure out. I'm like, why do you move into there? But that's because ComNet rolled into Verizon and they needed somebody with Verizon experience and something like yep. What happened? I mean, because it does sound all so easy for you now because it doesn't everything's been working out pretty well business wise and personal and financial.
0: Yeah, would think so. But times were tough. It was just the money was going out faster some months than it was coming in. And Todd, my partner there, he drove to that store and he lived about an hour from there. And there would be nights that he thought, you know what, I'm going to save money on the gas and I work till nine o'clock tonight. I got to open at nine tomorrow and I'll just sleep in my car. So he'd sleeping in his car. When we go to different events to try to learn more about the industry and make more connections with vendors, we would share hotel rooms. We would take the red-eye flights. We were trying to save every money we could. We were lean and mean, and we didn't have many employees. And sometimes it almost burned us. We didn't have enough administrative help to have checks and balances. We almost got burned pretty bad early on.
1: Well, I mean, these other stores, did they not work as well as your first one because they didn't have the same kind of college market that you were used to?
0: Yeah, that was part of it. And they were just bigger and the cash was going out pretty fast and we had more employees. And all of a sudden we went from probably four employees to 30 overnight.
1: So what was your biggest issue? It sounds like maybe taking over these four stores at the time seemed like maybe a mistake. You didn't have enough money for the fluctuations, just in case.
0: Is that what happened? Yeah, I think that was part of the challenge is just having enough money in the bank to feel comfortable.
1: Well, how about these other stores? So how far away? usually pretty good at geography, but I don't know about South Dakota, honestly. So <laughs> how far away are these other stores from your home and where you're working?
0: About an hour and a half.
1: Okay, so that's pretty far distance. Are you going to all these stores? Like, imagine not everyone, obviously, every day. But I mean, what's your role? Like, because it must be different from running one store to five.
0: I was trying to get to every store about once a week. And I was on the schedule lots of times to work on the sales floor. And I would leave early in the morning and lots of nights. I wouldn't get home till 7, 8 at night. And then I would work at night with my laptop in front of the TV. Lots of time, just trying to get caught up with email and book work and so forth.
1: It sounds like you're barely making ends meet at this point after you buy the four extra stores. Yeah. You're making money, but it doesn't sound like you're making much of a profit from taking on all this extra work.
0: Yeah. Those first year, it was tough. Just trying to build the infrastructure and build some inventory levels in the stores. We didn't take hardly any money out for our own personal wages.
1: So if you had to tell someone who is kind of buying into a franchise, because that's basically what we're doing here, what would be your suggestions looking back for anyone who is wanting to expand from one store to multiple?
0: Make sure you have some cash set aside or money available to get you through those first six months for sure. Those first six months are tough and it takes more than you expected.
1: Well, were you excited about it? Because you don't sound very excited about opening those stores.
0: Well, I'm excited now, I guess. Just I was trying to put myself back in those days. It's like, that was hard work. It was worth it. Obviously, it turned out, but it was super hard. It was grinding. It was long hours.
1: Well, let's put it in perspective again, because I know we mentioned it earlier on. How many employees work for you now and how many stores do you have now?
0: About 320 employees and 54 total stores.
1: Okay. So we've 10 x to what you did, but even looking back now, you're thinking that that must have been the hardest jump for you personally, going from one to five?
0: Yeah, you bet.
1: Yeah, because I mean, even then you're learning all these new employees and then you're having to go all these locations. So
0: Yeah, so we had gone from five stores to 20. Over what time? From the year 2000 to 2010.
1: Seems like eventually over those five stores, right? Yep. Jumping back to that before we get to the 20, I mean, over the 20 was a 10-year period, but first couple of years were difficult it sound like. But was there anything that you had to jump that really significantly helped you all stabilize and- be able to grow and buy these
0: other stores? Yeah, between 2000 and 2010, the market was growing. There was just a need for more stores in different towns. And some of the locations we picked out didn't work. We thought, hey, this is a great location, great population around here, this should work. And sometimes we failed. And then other stores, we...
1: Why would they though?
0: You know, in the Minneapolis suburbs, it's trickier than I thought. In South Dakota, we pick an area with 20,000 population and put a store in there and it would be successful. And it was successful time and time again. But then we go into a Minneapolis suburb of a population of maybe 40,000 would be the only store in that suburb. And we thought, oh, this is going to work. But we struggled in a lot of those stores. It's just a different retail pattern. It's hard to get a good location with great visibility from the road. People were used to going to other bigger corporate stores. It's a different market and a different challenge in those big cities that we weren't accustomed to, and now we're better at it.
1: You were better at the smaller cities and the bigger cities, you're saying? Yes. Yeah, we were. So that's just because you can usually get a better spot in the smaller cities? Yes. Okay. Because I mean, my background, like I would do mortgages on retail shopping centers. So we'd look at all the things that maybe a normal listener right now, who's at least in the US doesn't think about how much stuff goes into a retail location. It's like you said, one of the big things is visibility, but you also want to make sure you're somewhere near traffic. Like you see a lot of these stores near Walmart, right? Or one of those retail shopping centers. But from your viewpoint, what else were you looking for? Like, Now that you've been doing it enough and have 50-plus stores, what are you looking for when you try to open a retail spot that hopefully we can learn from?
0: Great visibility is huge. And we just opened up a store in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's right next to the road. we got big signage. It's uh, 100 feet from a corner. With a stoplight on a busy road.
1: And you're saying a lot of important things right there that, again, I want to make sure people understand all those things are really, really important, what you just said. Yeah, so important. Right. Yeah, people might not think about it. You're like, okay, but being near an intersection, right, is very important because everyone's stopping, so they see it versus if you were just on one, I don't know, an interstate runs through South Dakota, but maybe you're right off there and people just drive by not even seeing it, right?
0: Yeah, a perfect example. We have a store in Minnesota, one of the suburbs close to Minneapolis. It's along a highway, busy highway. We're setting off quite a ways, but people are going 65 miles an hour by that road. And it's like, wow, it's not easy to get in and out. And it struggles, even though there's a lot of traffic, but traffic that's going slow by a stoplight, big signage.
1: Is there any other tricks that you've kind of figured out in selecting these retail locations?
0: Getting that strip mall closer to the road is so important. So often, I think people that build strip malls don't understand them or didn't own a retail store. They may be very good at building buildings. They don't stop and think the retailer really, really wants and what's important to them. But getting that building close to the road, putting the parking on the side or in the back is critical. Sometimes people build strip malls and they only put two-foot section to put the signage. And it's better to have four- or five-foot section on the top of the windows area to put signage because signage is critical. If people don't know you're there, they don't come, I and mean, then you can't be successful.
1: When selecting location, I guess we're on point on any stoplights, corners, and people not driving too fast. Why don't we go ahead and talk about growing from the 5 to 20 stores. What else you learned during that point in time?
0: We learned we needed to have good people and great checks and balances. I got a, a kind of a funny story. It's funny now because we survived it. <laughs> it <laughs> right, was not yeah. funny at the time. Mm-hmm because we had a guy stealing phones from us. (laughs) That's not funny at the time. That's not funny at the time. (laughs) It's still not funny. (laughs) When cash was tight, we had this manager. We'll call him Bob. So Bob was smart. He's a great sales guy. He was selling a fair amount of phones in this store in Minneapolis. And we thought, as every month we'd look at the profit and loss statement, and we'd say, man, why aren't we making money there? We're selling enough phones. We should be making money. And i go to Todd. Todd, there's something wrong with this store. Month after month, it's doing good sales. But we're losing money. And he said, yeah, I know. I can't figure it out. And I said, I can't figure it out either. We keep looking at it. And then finally, Todd figured it out. He says, you know what? We're missing phones. I think phones are being ordered, but the guy's not putting them into inventory. He's not putting them into our computer system. And we found some examples or tracked some serial numbers and yeah, okay. Here's a box of phones that was ordered. Never got into our computer system. I was in Minneapolis. I took the whole store out to eat. At first I had gone to Bob, the manager and said, I don't know what's going on. So I said, okay, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. We're all going to go out to eat and we're going to get to the bottom of this. So I took him out to eat after the store closed, probably four, five people. And I went around the table, explained what happened. Said, somebody's stealing phones. Who is it? Nobody said anything.
1: Did you say it like that, or yeah, wait, at what point in dinner is this? I mean, did you go order appetizers yet? Or, <laughs> I
0: don't even remember.
1: Did you yeah. even order dinner or did you just sit down at a table?
0: Uh, I think I had a beer because I figured I'd need one to get through this conversation because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if we're just having small talk, and then all of a sudden this happens, or you yeah, know, there's a point in time you want to bring it up if you're breaking up with your girlfriend, and you know yeah. at Thanksgiving's probably not the best time, so
0: exactly. this early on. And I couldn't get people with a break. Nobody broke. And so, <laughs> What do you
1: mean by you try to get them to break? Were you order-torturing them or what? No.
0: I knew somebody was stealing phone. I thought if I kept asking or probing in different ways, I'd get somebody that would not look me in the eye anymore with confidence. And right. Nobody gave in. So then I go back to my hotel room. The manager, Bob, calls me. And he says, Vince, can I come to your room? So yeah, I come to room 212. And knock on the door, he comes in the room and, he was tougher than me. He was a bigger guy than me. He stands in the doorway and says, I got something to tell you. And I'm kind of cornered in my small hotel room in the back. And I'm like, uh, okay, this is kind of weird. This was you know, late at night. He had been at the bar drinking. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was like 11, 30, 12 at night. And I was like, okay.
1: And he knocked on your hotel room because you couldn't get any of them to break at dinner. Yeah, right? yeah. So okay.
0: Then he comes to my hotel room and says, Vince, here's me. I've been doing it. I've been buying these phones. I order them on a Friday the only one that works Saturday morning. I'll have Saturday delivery. I'll take the box of phones. I bring them to my trunk in my car, and then I go sell them on eBay. I said, oh my gosh, do you know how much you've been doing? He said, I don't, but I've been blowing the money. I've been gambling on different things, buying every gadget possible. One of the things he did over that time frame was took me to a Minnesota Wild hockey game, front row seats, probably the most expensive seats in this arena, and took me out to eat. And he said, Oh, yeah, this is just friends of mine. They provided this for me.
1: Uh, you're his friend. Yeah. Later, I realized
0: <laughs> it was my own dang money that he was using to take me out and blow a hockey game. What a guy. Yeah, what a guy. And so, $73,000 later, we find him. Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of dang money.
1: This is very important because, unfortunately, something like this is going to happen to someone who's listening, yep. growing their own business. So, what do you do after, like, how do you find out exactly? I guess at least he came to you, yeah. right? And said something. Then I mean, you're eventually going to figure it out. I think he knew that. That's why he did that. Yeah. Luckily, you just had to get him liquored up to say something. Yep. <laughs> what do you do then? Do you have to sue him or is he does he say he's going to pay it back? What happens?
0: It took a few days to figure it out. And we said, okay, you got to pay us back or we're going to the police. And it was a big enough dollar amount that he was probably going to end up in jail. And if he end up in jail, he probably wasn't going to make money to pay us back. So... We met with him and his wife, and I remember that day. We just met in the parking lot of the store, and they come together with a plan. His plan is his parents-in-law. We're going to go get a second mortgage on their house. They paid us back, and part of that plan is I'm going to try to make a productive person out of you. I'm going to try to keep your family together, and I try to get you professional help because he was a good guy. He just had an addiction. He was almost a gambling addiction. Now, first, he'd do one phone. Hey, he didn't get caught. So then he did two phones. He didn't get caught, and then he did 10 phones. And then it just went on and on. And it kind of became a little bit of a, well, it was an addiction.
1: A journal and rush for
0: him. Yeah, exactly. And he couldn't control it. So part of the recovery plan for him was that he needed to go to counseling for a year and every quarter for a year. I had a written report from his counselor, signed by his counselor, on how he was doing. And he went on to become a very successful salesperson in a different industry. As far as I know, he's still doing well today.
1: Was he still working with y'all through all this? Oh, no. no?
0: He was done. That night was his last day. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I don't know how you go to the father-in-law and ask for that, but I mean, that's his fault, right? He was the one stealing the money.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: From there, I guess at least we got some experience on what can happen because it's pretty easy to figure out, but maybe most people don't think about it. Obviously, you didn't want them going to jail because you want your money back. And if you did that, then you'd have no chance to get it back. So
0: yeah, that was part of it. You bet.
1: So at least you got that back. And then but what year was this now? I mean, this is after expanding to 20 stores.
0: Yeah, this is probably somewhere between 2005 and 2007. I think now I could go talk about the time frame between 2010 and now.
1: Okay, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, 20 stores at 2010, and then now you're up to 50 plus. Yeah.
0: Around 2010, we had four partners at one point, and now we have three. And things were not going well with myself and another partner, and that created stress within the ownership group. And within the company, and we ended up splitting up It split up some of the stores and we each went our own way. And one of the things I learned is even though good people get together, doesn't always mean good things will happen. Whether it's a marriage or a business partnership, that can be for lots of different reasons. You know, difference in values, ambitions, perspectives, passions, work ethics, gifts. Talents. When that happens when people aren't getting along, it creates stress. It's so critical relationships is a key to success in business, in life, in all areas.
1: Earlier you said you had one partner, right?
0: Yeah. One partner when we started in two thousand and probably two thousand and one we added two more partners. So we had a total of four for quite a few years. And now we have a total of three of us.
1: Okay. So now there's a total of three we'll talk about that downsizing real quick. But how about when those people buy into your partnership? Because at first, you open the first store by yourself. Yep. So what's it look like when you bring on somebody else? Because this is something we could learn from about bringing on partners, like how you give up equity and whatnot.
0: I don't know if we did it all right, but based on the situation, I just needed help. So some of the partners we added on lived in different parts. Two of the partners we added on lived in Iowa. And I just need help to cover that area.
1: Funrise is the future of real estate investing. See, with Funrise, you can invest in million-dollar deals without writing million-dollar checks. And this level of real estate investing was previously only reserved for the wealthiest investors. Funrise enables you to instantly access high-quality, high-potential real estate projects from the high-rises in DC to multifamily apartments in LA. So getting high with Funrise will actually be one of the best decisions you ever made. Oh, and by high, we mean you'll have access to highly vetted real estate projects that are managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. With Fundrise, you now have the benefit of investing in real estate's consistent cash flow and long-term appreciation without all the headaches that come with managing a property yourself. They make it easy to inspect every project in your portfolio and will keep you updated on each project's progress in real time. So give the future of real estate investing a try today. Go to fundrise.com slash millionaire that's fundrise f-u-n-d-r-i-s-e dot com forward slash millionaire to have your first three months of fees waived and that link is available in your episode notes below and don't forget by clicking the link in our episode notes you help me and my team thank you for supporting the show by checking out our advertisers so they can help financially support our podcast Well, tell us about like, did they give you money to buy into that? Because do you own the first store 100% and then once you buy the other four, your partner and you've split it 50-50, how's that work out?
0: Yeah. So what we did is those first four stores that I have, I own still today 100% by myself. And then we have about six different corporations under one big umbrella corporation. And within those six different corporations, there'll be different states and different ownership percentages. Some, my partner, Todd, he owns three stores by himself. I own those four original stores by myself. And then the other, some of those areas, it's just Todd and I. But a lot of the other areas, it's Todd, Steve, and I that own those stores.
1: Yeah, because this might sound complicated to some people, but this is how a lot of real estate structures work as well. That you have one parent company, right? Yep. You can almost think of Verizon. They're not, quote unquote, your parent company. But then when someone's buying into a real estate deal, they could have like 12 different partners and then like five partners own 100% of one LLC, the other seven, like three might own 25%, the other four might own 25%. So it sounds like kind of complicated, but. Usually, if you draw it out in a map form, it makes it much easier to understand. Exactly. Okay. And that makes more sense because I'm like, there's no reason for you to give up ownership on those first ones when you did everything. But then you all are still basically partners on certain stores and not certain stores and have a good working relationship, it sounded like. As we're kind of closing in on the end of the story here, what have you learned over these last couple of years? What's your work life like now and your role versus when you started selling cell phones back in 94?
0: Well... I needed better work-life balance. I realized I need to hire more district managers. And Todd Steve and I realized we needed to hire more leadership folks at a higher level. And that helped get a work-life balance for me. It helped get a better company culture, helped my life, helped the whole company. We come up with our mission and vision statement, core values, and we focused on those. And that has helped us create a great company culture and has helped us create a very loyal base of employees. Our employee turnover rate is about one third of most other retailers in our industry and something we've maintained for quite a few years. And I think we've got something special and I can talk a little bit more about that if we have time.
1: Yeah. Compared to your stores, to other stores, you have a third of the turnover. Yeah. What's the difference between your store and being able to keep people versus other competitive wireless
0: stores? Commission scale is part of it. How the boss treats the employee is a big part of it. But if you can get the right people in place and they treat the other people how they should be treated, then people will stay. People will be more loyal to them if you care about them. Once you care about them, then they care how much you know and hopefully be willing to be more coachable and humble and hungry, motivated, and be willing to help the company. If the bosses are likable and caring, employees are more likely to stay. Now, of course, commission is part of it. You got to pay a competitive salary, competitive commission rate. But this other non-tangible stuff, it's real. And it's hard to put a number to it. It's hard to put a spreadsheet to it. It's hard to figure it all out. But I truly believe it helped us have a lot less turnover than our peers.
1: I could see, especially in that sales role where you have a manager who thinks he's Mr. Know-it-all and they're at another wireless store, Like, I wouldn't want to work with him, even the same commission structure. But if you have someone who's actually caring enough and you can tell that they actually care about you as an employee, say I'm a sales guy, my manager above me who's got like seven stores is likable and cares about me, then that makes a huge difference to them. They just want to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Very true. Maybe getting those people, because you kept saying you kept growing your staff, so you have to do less. So hopefully when you have these people who are running five or six different stores for you, they're more energized than maybe you used to be if you're running around doing everything yourself. And hopefully, you know, I think the attitude of gratitude is a very important thing. If you preach that to them, I think once people start realizing that more, that really changed a lot of perspectives. So hopefully that's one that they definitely remember.
0: Yeah, I believe they're keystone core values. If you can get the attitude of gratitude and guest experience, down, the other 11 core values will fall into place pretty quickly. And, you know, it's easy to complain about the things we don't have, but we need to be thankful for the things we do have. And we generally find what we're looking for. And I sometimes tell my folks, Oprah Winfrey once said, the more I count my blessings, the more blessings I have to count. And it's very true. And we can be thankful that we have a inside job and a hot day, or we can complain about the customer that's coming in complaining about their bill. But what you focus on, more likely you'll get over time.
1: So you're a big Oprah Winfrey fan?
0: Not huge, but she's got some good points. That was a good quote.
1: I hadn't heard that one, so I'll give you that one. Those are the two most important things. I think people, like, the more you think about that, you can say oh, how hot it is outside, but at least at least you get to be outside. Maybe you're not in jail, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, right, you get that ability. So maybe, you know, even if it wasn't your, quote unquote, your fault, you could go to jail or prison and if you didn't commit some. Well, at least you have freedom
0: as Americans, we're blessed to be born in America. I go to Haiti quite often. And the first time I went to Haiti in 2014, I just remember I was on this mission trip and a stay at this property and it had an outhouse. It had a bucket shower and had a bunk bed. It was hot. There was no wind. It was humid. And the first day I went up into the mountains to go visit the others and come back home that evening to our property. And I remember to sit there and being thankful for an outhouse because the folks in the mountains didn't even have an outhouse. And that's when it clicked on me that it's perspective. The word that I use is perspective and the perspective can help you understand, and have an attitude of gratitude because so many of these Haitian folks are so happy, so happy just to see us. My wife will come with me and go to the dollar store ahead of time and pack it up with backpacks with bubbles and yo-yos and Little race cars and dolls, and she'll just give these out, and it's like the kids won the lottery, you know. And we are so much here in America, and we forget to be thankful. So that having that perspective has been a game changer for me. We've taken employees on two different trips. Next April, we're going to take another group of employees on a trip down there to Haiti and help serve our friends, our brothers and sisters down in Haiti. And it's just amazing—they have so little, but so often are more happy than we are. And when I get my people to understand that, it's a game changer for them, just like it was a game changer for me.
1: Well, the problem is we're all on your phones too much. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> That's my it's fault. because now. of you, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shoot.
1: we appreciate you telling your story and telling us what it's like to be in South Dakota. And I think there's a lot of little different tidbits we can learn from growing from that one store to where you are today. Think about it now for you, when you opened that one store, did you ever think you'd get to this size?
0: You know, did I you did, have dreams of that as I go through life. I would say as at one, I could see myself at four when I was at five, then we jumped to five right away. And when we are at five, I could see myself at 10 and we we're at 10. I could kind of see myself going to 20. I didn't start at one and say, hey, I want to get to 54. I just couldn't see that far. Right or wrong, that was just kind of the way it was for me. And, you know, now that we're at, I can see that we can add another 10 or 20 and maybe 30. And then we get to that point. We'll go see further down the road. It's kind of like that journey. You know, once you're five miles down the road, you get to see the next whatever is in front of you and see it more clearly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's important to have kind of those small steps as you go along. We appreciate you sharing your story, Vince, and uh, thank you for coming on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you very much, Austin. Appreciate it.
1: Hey there, one special announcement for you. Are you or your company interested in reaching an audience of entrepreneurs? Our network and I are always on the lookout for businesses that we can partner with. Over the past year, we've been lucky enough to work with sponsors like Gusto, StartEngine, and Skillshare, and we've been able to help them grow their businesses by reaching our podcast audience of high-earning professionals, business founders, and successful solopreneurs. Well, over this next year, we're looking for three to five new sponsors to partner with. So if your business could benefit by reaching the thousands of entrepreneurs listening right now, and you're actually serious about sponsoring our show, then shoot me an email at Austin at Millionaire Interviews.com. The first three listeners to place an order with us will receive a five minute spotlight on their business that will air after one of our episodes. So, again, if you're interested in growing your business as we grow this podcast, then shoot me a personal email at Austin at Millionaire Interviews.com.